everyone, it's Scott with EmpowerEd. First, I want to thank you for listening to our very first season of the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. We created this podcast to share the incredibly dynamic educator wellness conversations we're having with our school and community partners. And over our first nine episodes, we did just that with episodes on topics like restorative justice for school staff members and the emerging importance of flexible scheduling for educators. Many thanks to all of our amazing guests. Now, I'm really excited to share this last episode of the season with you on a topic that couldn't be more important to educator wellness, the harmful discourse on anti-critical race theory in education and increasing incidence of book bans on topics of diversity and inclusion in schools in the United States. Sadly, we find ourselves in a moment of incredible political divisiveness, where the history and realities of marginalized communities in our world are being leveraged to deepen divides and win elections. As these battles increase, the well-being of educators, especially educators of color, is being harmed and we are at risk of the situation getting even worse. In this deeply insightful panel conversation, we discuss the difficult situation many educators find themselves in, in states with anti-CRT legislation, how these attacks on CRT and book bans are particularly impacting black educators' wellness, and the ways educators can deepen their wellness through resistance and community. Our panel includes Deanna Forbes, a U.S. history and social studies teacher in Northern Virginia who has been featured for her curriculum during Black Lives Matter Week of Action. Colin Brown of Leadership Prep School in Frisco, Texas, a history and social studies teacher who understands or teaches under current anti-CRT legislation in his own state. Vanessa Williams, a former social studies teacher who is the program officer for D.C. Area Educators for Social Justice, a project of Teaching for Change and Gabrielle DeBose, a 30-year veteran educator and lead teacher organizer here with Empower Ed. We recognize we're closing out our season on a big conversation. We hope you take the summer to keep thinking about ways to increase equity and wellness for our educators and the students and families they serve. We've learned that it's only in our willingness to have difficult conversations that we can create real wins for our teachers and schools. With that, we'll say goodbye for now. We'll be back later in the summer to begin our second season on all topics related to education wellness. But please feel free to reach out to wellness at weareempowered.org if you have any ideas for future episodes or guests. We'd love to hear them. Thanks again and have a great summer. All right, everybody. So welcome to Empower as Educator Wellness Revolution. Today, we invite you into our conversation about anti-CRT, book banning, and other oppressive restrictions on teachers, but especially teachers of color, and how these oppressions impact our personal and professional wellness. I am Gabrielle DuBose the very proud teacher leadership facilitator with Empower Ed. I'm also a veteran educator. And I have to say right off from the top that these topics of wellness and flexible scheduling, et cetera, were not on the table five years ago, six, 10 years ago. They were not on the table for discussion. So I am happy, excited that we are talking about wellness in the in the realm of education and teaching and in the schoolhouse, et cetera. And so having said that, before we get started, let me pause for just a moment and bring in the executive director of Empower Ed, Scott Goldstein. He will share some things with us. And from there, we will have our guests introduce themselves. Scott? 
Thanks, Gabrielle. I'm just really, really excited to have this conversation and to be here with all of you. I really do view this, the political divisiveness that's happening around these efforts around the country as very much impacting the wellness and well-being of educators and particularly Black educators and educators of color who are who are being put in the middle of these fights with our children, I think often losing out. So really, really excited to have these conversations, to hear your perspectives from the front lines. Uh, of of these these conversations and to learn from you all today. So I'm excited to meet all of you. All right. So we'll start with you, Miss Anna Forbes. Please tell us about yourself, how you started doing this work, and how wellness has impacted you personally and professionally. Yes. So I'm Deanna Forbes. I'm a social studies teacher in Northern Virginia. This is my fourth year at my school. And I would say that I really started to hone in on my journey, leaning towards social justice education in college, that I went to James Madison University in Harrisonburg. And I would say that program really allowed me to see a lot of things when it came to history. And I think I was around professors and professionals who were very supportive and saw the passion that I had for black, you know, black education, for teaching the truth, for history, and and also creating an in classroom environment that was engaging for all learners and that was diverse. Mm-hmm. Also, in this day and age, I think wellness is so important to talk about. I definitely believe in putting myself first, like I'm doing right now. I'm currently taking the next two days off of work, okay? <laughs> to just give time okay. myself. I'm literally nine months pregnant. So I'm like, I'm going to see y'all next wow. week. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just over here, you know, resisting, you know, and that's kind of my way to keep myself sane is, is to put myself first. I love the work that I do, but I've also learned in the past few years of my job to kind of create those boundaries and and be sure to not only put to obviously hone in on my craft and and love what I do, but also to put myself and my family first. So Mm -hmm. thank y'all for having me on today. Very good. Thank you for being here. Colin, can you pick it up from there? What brought you into this work and of teaching? And then how does wellness impact you personally and professionally? Teaching and education has run in my family. When I was growing up, my grandfather, who really inspired me to become a teacher, was a history teacher, former drill sergeant in the Air Force. He and I and my dad, we would all have discussions on history, on current events, politics, all of that. And so, yeah, that really drove me to wanting to be a teacher. And then my English teacher in high school really just kind of cemented that for me. So since high school, I wanted to be a middle school, high school, the the thought of being a teacher or being a college professor has always been there in my mind. And so it took me a little while to get there, you know, just through growing up, some personal battles and all of that. And so finally becoming a teacher in 2018 really just made me know that I was where I was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And and considering wellness, on a personal note, I have a condition called dysthymia, which is just basically chronic depression. And so wellness is a very high priority for me. Thankfully, I have all of that under control and everything. But you know, when the environment that you're that you're that you're in love with starts to begin to be tampered with in ways that are not healthy by people from outside the system that have no idea what's going on 
within the school system, that's when you start to get a little bit stressed. So yeah, wellness is a very important thing for me and for my students. And so, yeah, I just want my passion for teaching and passion for students' education to remain and not be stifled out. So, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Great comments. Thank you for those. And so, Vanessa, I'll try to speak up a little bit more. I'm a quiet speaker. <laughs> okay, very I'll good. I'll try and raise my voice. You're okay. good. You're good. The teacher voice. Yes. Okay, Miss Vanessa, you want to round this out here? Sure thing, everyone. Again, thanks for having me on today. My name is Vanessa Williams. I use she, her pronouns. I'm the program manager for DC Area Educators for Social Justice. And again, it's a pleasure to be with you all today. I was teaching. I'm no longer. I taught for six years in the North or Charlotte, North Carolina metro area. Taught middle and high school social studies for six years. And much like Colin and Miss Forbes, or Deanna, I too, you know, had dreams of teaching pretty early on in my educational career. I knew in college I wanted to be a teacher and studied interned over the summers with different like uh, with the Freedom School program in particular. I also tutored, mentored, did all the things and it quickly became like the what what helped ground me in college and all of my studies and it was something that I was just so passionate about. And I chased it down and, you know, pretty soon after graduating, you know, went into grad school for teaching and was just like tunnel vision, but it was like nothing that I ever questioned, right? Mm. I loved social studies, loved grappling with it, sharing that love with young people and anybody around me, and obviously became a social studies teacher, did that for a number of years and found so much encouragement and just just, just love doing this work with young people. <laughs> but much like Colin has already said, that like the when it gets tampered with, it gets hard too. <laughs> To, to be able to like really bask in all of that, that I, everything that I, that I'd grown to love about it became hard to be able to focus on all of that. So the professional, the personal professional just so tied for me that like I loved teaching, but like in order to be able to like function better mm-hmm. and like all the times when I wasn't in the classroom, it was just hard. It got a lot, a lot more difficult. I'm not sure we can fix on more on this conversation with that, but well, this was not something that I was able to really practice. Yeah. But I got better at setting boundaries and had to lean more into it the more years that I taught. But it's something that I definitely tried to do and certainly encourage educators to put yourself first, as Ms. Forbes also said, to, you know, make sure they can sustain their careers. Yes. Thanks, Vanessa. Well, and, you know, it's important. So I was a, a social studies teacher here in D.C. too for 10 years before doing this work. And, you know, I, and I'm not in the classroom anymore. And part of that was having kids and wanting that right additional time to to really have that flexibility and that personal wellness and to be with my family. And a lot of teachers leave the classroom for that reason. And part of the work we do is about recruiting Uh, supporting retaining educators of color in particular. And we have lost many educators of color over the past 10 to 15 years in DC. I know it's happened in other places too. And you got to imagine some of this that we're talking about today is having that effect too. And as people consider their own well-being and their own headspace, right? As you considered, and the kinds of laws that are being passed, the decisions that are being made by people not in the classroom and the decisions to stay in teaching, which we really, really need educators of color and educators who look like our students and share experiences with our students to stay. Those things I think are very connected to each other. So I'm curious just what you all think, and anybody can jump in on this, the connections you see between educator wellness and the work you're trying to do to bring more social justice education and equity to your schools. 
I'm happy to hop in very quick, quickly. Again, I want to center the educators' voices here. But one thing I definitely like reflect on a lot is about uh, the work that we do with Teaching for Change. It's not just provide curriculum to people, to students, to, and to educators who are doing social justice education work, but to help them like apply that to better their school conditions, to use the classroom as a starting place to like make societal change happen, right? So I guess some of the work that I think of that we're doing is supplying educators and having educators driving a lot of the curricular work and the the advocacy work also that they're doing in schools or some of them are serving on school boards and, you know, other ways that people are like leveraging their power to do that, right? I just think about how we're not just supplying like curricular lessons, but also like life lessons for students and being able to like supply or to, to help use a classroom as a starting spot for, for social change, for societal change yeah. in that regard. Let me jump in right behind Vanessa and say that with the course I'm teaching this year to freshmen at Duke Ellington School of the Arts, arts as activism is something that our principal has brought to the school. It's, it's a project-based lesson that they're learning and they're going to present their arts as activism in different ways, however they, however they feel led to create that and present it. And then within my class itself, we talk about, so here's how, how we normalize social justice, right? In my class, and we talk about social justice and what is that? And, you know, you know, basic human rights and, and those kinds of things. So a lot of times seeding the ground of our students' minds with the fact that it's important to be socially aware and to be an activist and to plug into not only what's going on in the lessons in the classroom, but, you know, the, the kids are all over social media. So we encourage them to find positive ways to put positive messages out there about the true history of African-Americans in this country, right? About the importance of supporting groups of people who are not like you as opposed to opposing them and getting in this cancel culture thing. Come out of that completely and turn this around and use your art as activism. I think a big part of the connection between educator wellness and teaching equity and social justice to students in school or even guiding them to learn about that is having the students really in our school the way that I see it is that our students really take that forefront they're the ones that start these organizations and it's it's great to see that we don't need to tell them like, hey, we need, you know, you should start an organization like this. They come up to us and say, hey, is it okay if we you know, do this, 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 this? And so, you know, maybe jumping forward a little bit, it's it's not really the educators that and and the content that we give that's being banned. It's the things that students are bringing with them to express themselves and saying, Hey, I found meaning in this book. I found my identity or, or, or was helped in finding my identity. I was able to learn about this other point of view that I had no idea about, you know, maybe I don't, I still don't jive with it, but I understand it. And, you know, I'm not ignorant about it. I'm going to accept it. It's not going to change my personality or my identity, but if you want to do that, cool. And so, yeah, a lot of these things are being brought by students and the students are just being shut down and 
part of educator wellness is having happy students. If you have unhappy students yeah. that can't express themselves with something as simple as reading a book mm-hmm. in school, uh, let alone, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we got some questions to ask. Oh, and I love you bringing that part into it right now, just because this is framed so much as something teachers are doing, right? To students, like they're indoctrinating them, and this is a teacher's political agenda. And and what you're highlighting here, which is really, really important, is we're actually stifling is you know, students bring things out on their own and saying, no, 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 we can't go there, right? Even though that is their authentic, right? That is their exploratory mind, right, in the learning process going to a place that's really important, even if they don't agree with it, right? To go through ideas, right? And to to vet them and to talk about them with each other and that taking that authenticity away from them. Ms. Forbes, you want to add on? Yes. So I was I was grappling with this question because I think the reason is because there's so many different angles that you could come at, you know, with this question. But I want to think about this and this is crazy. This question is making me think about like what's actually taking place right now in the workplace when it comes to not just students and, and what they're dealing with and, and the role that we play in helping to bring equity and social justice in schools, but the structures and the systems. For example, this week it just seems like educators. We have been feeling, I know particularly in my workplace, just kind of like under attack a little bit when it comes to our wellness and what we need, you know. Amen. When it comes to maternity leave and sick leave and basically noticing little injustices and and how we're being treated. And I was literally telling my colleagues today, I said, we are professionals and we deserve to be treated as such. So when we are experiencing things that are unjust, we have to fight them because if we don't and those systems continue to get away with what they're getting away with, they'll just continue to get away with what they're getting away with, you know? But then the, the downside of that is that it's so exhausting. It can just be so exhausting to always feel like you're trying to stand up for yourself. And it reminds me of racial battle fatigue a little bit when you're constantly just at the forefront trying to advocate and it's like you're fighting these giants and these systems. But the truth of the matter is if the system doesn't change, yes, nothing really changes. And so I, you know, I had a colleague that was going through something that she was dealing with, you know, surrounding her professional leave and stuff. And I said, girl, I said, you better come with the facts and you better tell them that these are the rights that you have. And no, it's not okay for you to be treated like this. You know, it's not okay to threaten educators pay because they need to take a sick day or two and you don't approve that. You know what I'm saying? And so it made this question kind of made me think deeper into, okay, well, we are bringing more equity and social justice education to the schools. And then teachers, we also are fighting against some of the oppression of these systems when it comes to our wellness and what we need. And so when it gets exhausting, like it has been this week, I said, well, I'm going to see y'all next week. I'm going to take two days off. (laughs) Yeah. Every every year teaching for change, Vanessa as part of does this curriculum fair. And last year at the curriculum fair, there was a session on wellness and 
actually one of the things I remember, and I know teachers use have used these pictures in, in lesson plans before, and they're really important, is you talked about that getting to the point of exhaustion, right, of always being on the front lines and showing students things like the pictures of movement leaders like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and others, like that picture of Martin Luther King riding a bicycle, right? And people are like, what? You know, <laughs> I thought he spent all of his time marching, you know? So, I mean, like, you know, just highlighting that, that even some of these people who are kind of mythological in some way to us prioritize their own wellness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how important that is. It's right. almost like they're human beings. Yeah, almost. wow. Imagine that. Like, like we're, we're, we're human beings, right? Wow. <laughs> Teachers are human beings and we need access to wellness too. Isn't that the truth? And Anna, thank you for talking about how important it is for us to maintain our wellness and to be aware of that and to also connect with other groups like Empower Ed and there are others, teachers teaching for change, et cetera, because it does become exhausting being in this advocacy battle, but it it is it is a part of life, especially if you are a person of color and let's just face it, or some of the other ostracized groups, et cetera. So let me just bring this in right here. Author and educator Bettina Love wrote the book, and you all may be familiar with it. We want to do more than survive. Shout out to Maya Bond with Empower Ed, who turned me on to this awesomely amazing author. Well, Love calls revolutionary teaching freedom dreaming, which is critical to abolitionist teaching that dares to take a deep dive into U.S. history. Abolitionist teaching, got to be bold. So how would you describe our current moment of incredible political divisiveness, especially the ways it diminishes, it diminishes, right? Tries to the lived experience of and the structural racism that affects educators of color. You know, this is real. This is the skin in which we live. So how would you talk about or discuss the political divisiveness? That's what's happening right now. We're a divided nation, especially when it, when some leaders try to diminish the lived experience of people of color and how structural racism affects and impacts us. Let's talk about that. The way I describe it is scary and it's, it's very worrisome. We've seen this in the past before uh, as events lead up to more cataclysmic events. Um, and we need to take the right steps not to let it go in that direction. For example, here down in Texas, we have House Bill 3979, which is the anti-critical race theory, anti-social issue, current event bill that got passed. And as a social studies teacher who teaches world geography, world cultures, and world history, not being able to talk about things like racism, systematic racism, oppression, misogyny, just, you know, these things, these oppressions that have targeted groups of people are now becoming outlawed by the government. It's no longer, it's no longer just a school district thing. And it's not, it's not just that, but it's also, you know, the issue that rises up in places like South Lake, where they have, where they're arguing about teaching the Holocaust and saying, well, you have to teach the other side as well. So what do we have to teach the other side of slavery? Well, you know, let's talk about the economic benefits of slavery in the system. Hmm. You know, why, you know. No, we, we can't, we can't do that. That's, that's ridiculous. And 
it, it's just scary that we can't talk about these things without without a student really asking us or without having to weave it some way into our curriculum lest an angry parent calls or writes a letter to the government now we have that threat in the back of our mind that you know just of something we talk about something as simple as racism in the united states could be taken out of line and get me reprimanded by the texas government it's it's scary it's a scary thing and it's a very slippery slope and so i'm sure we'll talk about it later but there are things that we can do to prevent that I look at the attacks on teaching the truth, right? The how inconsistent they are, right? And their messaging, how hypocritical and uncritical they are in their messaging and, and their approaches to their analysis of history, right? It's maddening, honestly. And I always think about that callback to that Tony Morrison quote, I'm paraphrasing, right? But yeah. Colin, I think you've already kind of been talking to it, right? But the idea that like racism, then of course you can also throw in a lot of other isms and it's designed to be a distraction, right? It's designed to keep people from like honestly reckoning and like sharing what we call again or what we're you know messaging about out to people is teaching the truth right saying honestly like this is what has happened this is what we can do to, what, what actionable steps we can do to like continue to push for a stronger democracy to push for a better nation to push for a better world right and these attacks on teaching the truth are, are designed to keep educators like wrapped up in i mean Inane conversations, right? Like, what's the debate? The, what's the other side of the Holocaust? Right? What's the other side of racism? Like, there's no, there, mm. there's no, uh, like, I, I don't like the quote, like, you know, be on the right side of history. Like, history only has one side, right? Like, what is, what is just, what is right? And anything else is just bastardizing it. Anything else is just a lie. Anything else is just. But I'm gonna try my best to kind of answer both parts of this question because I think it, it is definitely loaded. The way I would describe the current moment of political divisiveness. Obviously it's sad, but it's just also it's frustrating. It's it feels unfortunate. And I also often ask myself, why does history need to be political? You know, why why is you know why are politicians so obsessed with trying to control the narrative of how history is played out? You know, it makes me think of a scene from a movie. I don't know if you guys have seen The Best of Enemies with the story of Ann Atwater and CPLS. CPLS was the leader of the Ku Klux Klan in Durham in the 70s. And Ann Atwater was a local activist and they actually became friends. Yes. But yes, yes, it's such a good movie, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the things she said to him in the process of the movie, she said, what are you so afraid of, CP? She said, you're afraid to lose control. You know, and it may, and I think about that all the time. I think about what are these politicians afraid of? You know, why is it so important for you to pass a law that, you know, takes away our rights to have black Greek letter organizations or any part of the national Panhellenic council? You know, when I think about growing up in the South, the Southern part of Virginia, and just kind of the general education I received that was very whitewashed, very much so had me looking around like, how come I never see myself in the curriculum? Yeah, we learned about slavery, but how come we don't never learn about, you know, black people during reconstruction and the, and all of the wonderful advancements that were made and then how it was snatched back. It took, I feel like I just came into adulthood finally being like, Oh, here's my real history. 
And it's like, why do you want to take that away yeah. so bad? Black, we, you know, everybody wants to feel, I think human nature is we gravitate to where we feel like we belong. And I think there's something powerful about learning your true history, you know, and learning about your, your culture and your people that is so empowering, even the, the culture of others, you know, that it's like, why do you want to take that away from someone? You know, it makes me sad. And I, I think it impacts me because it's just like, some people might feel like we can't win for losing. You know, we, we just are getting on the side of really sharing the truth and sharing our history and, and seeing it everywhere you go. And it's like, you want to make laws yet again, we see the power in lawmaking and legislation. You want to make laws that make us feel like our livelihoods are at risk. If we, you know, do teach this, or if we do talk about misogyny, or if we do talk about, you know, it, it's, I'm like, what, what are, what's to be afraid of? You know, so yeah. I actually wanted to interject here and just say that author Roland, author, activist, journalist Roland Martin wrote a book, White Fear. Carol Anderson, also professor of Black history, wrote a book, White Rage. And in both of those books, they talk about the browning of America. And, and I think by 2043, maybe the majority white race is going to be in the minority in terms of numbers. And so to your question, Anna, asking, you know, why such apprehension against the truth, you know, being told it is it is based on that evidence. Those folks trying to hold on to power that they've had as the majority race. And so it's very crystal clear, right, to like see that when you look at the history and at the evidence. OK, so. Resistance can also be a form of well of wellness, especially when done in community during a time when many people feel isolated. So how can they connect to a community to help them stay engaged without burning out? What I would really say is to connect and create communities that are open minded, tolerant and non bigoted. Gather yourselves together into groups spread out connect with one another. We have the technology. We definitely have the time. All it takes is just pressing a few buttons here and there, and then really get the word out to to educate yourself and really vote. All of this started on the smallest levels of governing and good people doing nothing while a dangerous vocal majority shouts them down. You know, it's we can see that happening. So we need to shout back vote on all levels, school boards, local governments, because that's that's how this all started and get get people there because there is a movement by certain groups to basically, you know, it could be religious, political, social, but to infiltrate the government with their own ideologies and force people into those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of the work that we do here in D.C., and I'm sure there are comparable organizations all across the, the states, is like this helping like cultivate and create, like again, like what Colin's already said, groups and just, you know, spaces where people are like, gathering consistently, virtually, in person. Sometimes it's a, it's a book study group, right? We've got the Teaching for Black Lives study groups that happen yearly all across the United States. So if you want to look that up, there's an education project that's got that work. Again, don't want to just be promoting the stuff that I... <laughs> have my hands in, but I know that's certainly a resource and you can, you know, find things that are comparable to that, uh, or just again, like form your own 
And I mean, I, I also just like to encourage people to also like find encouraging stories, right? right? Because like, I mean, we know full well that like us here in this group and many, many other people, right, are, 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 are resisting, right? They are continuing to teach the truth. And again, as Colin has already said, like, and actually many of us already have that, you know, there are just a few voices that are just chatting very loudly. Yeah. But then there it really is that like way more people are on board with teaching accurate <laughs> history, right? It's, <laughs> it's you know, ethically right. It's factually correct, right? I mean, in, in all ways of checking all the boxes that we would want to see in a history education, right? Or just a social justice education at large, right? Because we see other subjects too sorry totally support shameless plugs for really really good resources and so for the audience we're also we'll all put all the zen education project resources on our show page for this episode so you can find it there i guess Uh, so did you contribute anything here thank you yes i was just gonna say one of the things that have really helped me over the past i would say two years is my Instagram teacher community. (laughs) So obviously I follow a lot of teachers that also believe the same things that I believe about social justice and, you know, teaching the truth and teaching real history. And so it's been cool to be able to build camaraderie, even if it is through social media and also to know that I don't have to do everything by myself. I don't have to burn myself out if I need a worksheet, I, you know, or a resource. I can talk to my fellow friends on Instagram, right? Of course, I make things and share things as well, but I don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to, you know, having lessons. I literally was looking through all my stuff today. I was like, I have so many free lessons from from the education project, from, you know, facing history. And, and there's just so many resources out there for us. And the ability to connect through social media, I think has really made a difference and helping to build that community and helping me to stay engaged in the work and get ideas and things like that, but still not feel overwhelmed and still not feel burnt out. And, and I think about it too, like even in my school setting, one of the things that I tell people to do is don't sleep on like your librarians and other people in your building who also may be interested in that work just because they're not in your department doesn't mean that you can't, you know, use them to build community. And I think that's something that my school has done really well. I know Vanessa kind of saw some of that earlier this year. We have foreign language mixed with social studies, mixed with the librarians, mixed with, and we all come together and we make stuff shake for the kids. And the outcome is really nice and that builds community and that takes a lot of the burnout away. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's all on me, if that makes sense. But there are other teachers who are doing the work of social justice and engaging a community and they don't even teach social studies, yeah. but you think that we all did because we just, you know, we work together so well, but it's because we all care about the same thing and that's creating an equitable learning environment and making sure that our kids are seen and heard and feel like they're in an environment that sees them where they can be celebrated as well. So this is great. The sharing of resources and sources and talking about community and the fact that uh, for folks who will hear this podcast or see it later, they don't have to let fear rule them. 
because the powers that be would have it to be such, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so there are communities of teachers all across this nation who have the permission or the authority to teach true history and they're building community together and unity. And so then on the covert side, where it's maybe not as free, Colin, can you speak maybe for a couple of seconds about how you're able to navigate through what's going on in Texas right now? And then we'll go to Scott. I just teach the facts. That's what I do. And if someone has a problem with the facts, then we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. There you go. I love it. I love it. Teaching the truth. We're going to do a little lightning round here to close out and ask you to zoom out a little bit and just think about the bigger vision here. So y'all are dedicated to teaching the truth and to bringing social justice education into the classroom, to being your authentic selves and showing your students that And so I just want to ask each of you, as we close out, what is your bigger vision for how social justice education and practice can help us have a more resilient education system, especially right now? My vision is a day where people see the phrase anti-discrimination and no one gets angry. That would be nice. That's my vision. Thank you. I vision or I guess the approach is like wanted to make sure students and educators take the center or like the driving force behind making schools better places, but community members are also using their influence, using their voices to, to, to also support them and, and making their demands or, and meeting their demands. Yeah. For me, it's creating a, an environment where the, the whole student is centered the whole educator is centered. And then the policies and the practices stem from seeing the student or the educator as a whole person. I feel like that would be putting into action what we preach and teach. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think about one of our catchphrases with Empower Ed, which is Empower Ed is human centered, yet policy oriented. And so our human is at the center. That's the larger view and vision that I have that as a society, we can respect each other's humanness and work together to erect policies that protects our human nature, our us as human beings, our human rights, and leave this divisiveness out of the conversation. Because America is a beautiful swath of colors and diversity and ethnicity. So if we can rise above the fray and focus on human rights and let people live as they are, let the truth of history come out and live as it is. And just again, protect our human rights while we're sharing this thing called life together. Thank you, Gabrielle. This was just such a deeply insightful and impactful conversation at a moment where I think so many people need to hear this, whether they're educators in the classroom and just to be kind of bucked up to keep doing what you said, Colin, right? Just keep teaching the truth no matter what and standing strong in that no matter where they are or what policies from people who don't know the classroom are trying to be imposed on them and to do the right thing for the kids and and for yourselves to prioritize as Ms. Forbes said, the whole person, both the whole student and the whole educator. So thank you so much to each and every one of you for being part of this conversation. This is our final episode of season one of the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. And we're so glad to close it out on this note. And whether it has been our conversations about restorative practices or flexible scheduling and educator wellness, about trauma response or about racial equity, 
We know these conversations are all deeply important to educators, and we want to continue to lift up the voices of educators, both here in D.C. and across the country on these issues that are so important to all of us, and to make sure these teacher voices are heard and the educators feel empowered to stand in their truth and keep sharing the truth with all of our students in our school community. So thank you so much for joining us. You can find more on our show page. Continue to find the podcast on Spotify, on Apple, or wherever else you find your podcasts. And check us out at weareempowered.org. And Vanessa, real quick, where can they find Teaching for Change and Social Justice Educators? Yeah, sure thing. So if you go to DC Area Educators 4, that's number four, socialjustice.org, you will be directed to our page with all of our resources and things. And Teaching for Change is teaching and the word F-O-R, change.org, to find the more national and scale education stuff that's associated. We do place-based work here in DC, but there we go. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you all for being part of this conversation. And we'll see you on the next season of the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to another Educator Wellness advocate and rate us five stars so others can discover our podcast. We also hope you stay in touch. We'd love to hear your questions, ideas, and recommendations for future podcast guests and themes. Just email us at wellness at weareempowered. That just looks like weareempowered.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and TikTok with the same handle as empowereddc or visit us at weareempowered.org. Thanks again. We are all part of this educator wellness revolution, and we really appreciate your time and energy. Mm-hmm.